On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside episode 907 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. My name is Matt Robinson, here with you in our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Hope you'll give us a follow on social media at Tall Can Audio. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now. Um, Look, the world's getting a little complicated again, or still, uh, however you want to view that. And what happens around here is we typically sit around and say things that we think... And when it comes to serious stuff, it's better to bring on people who can say things that they know. So we turn to our big brain friends, and we only have one of those who has the, the see, this is where I blank on, because I don't have the big brain, the prefix, that's the word I'm looking for, doctor, in her, uh, in her name, that she can use, right? And so it's time to turn to a doctor, and she will be humble when she starts talking and say, well, it's not an MD, it's a, look. The only person that we know or who that bothers with us that can use that title <laughs> at all. So we're going to uh, to run with it here. And we are happy to welcome back to the show for the first time since uh, I think middle of winter last year. No, yep, still this year. But yeah. Um, kind of that shortened hockey season. You were here for that as well. Dr. Mm-hmm. Vicki Forster is uh, is back with us today on Tall Can Audio. How are you doing? I am Pretty well, thank you. I just got back from a uh, a dinner out, which is a, a rarity nowadays. So I've had a had a couple of beers already. So I'm you know happy to you know trash talk all the other NHL teams and that kind of thing. So yeah, happy to be here. Um, this is great, and we got a, a bunch of really good feedback the last time you were on, and, oh, and, and we were happy to you know like you said we were able to talk a little beer, we were able to talk a little hockey, and you were able to bring us all crashing back down to earth by saying, oh by the way, there's going to be a fourth wave when that was still sort of yeah. Uh, to some of us in question, to you it was not in question any longer, no. and uh, there it was. Um, so yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about a bunch of things here. You wrote a great article that we will share uh, both in the show notes at talkandaudio.com. Uh, it's already been up on our social media feeds, but we will share it there again. Um, you wrote an article for Forbes recently on you know ways that we could make the the pande- or the uh, the jab, the vaccination, a little easier on the kids who have recently gotten mm-hmm. to go ahead to get to uh, to go ahead and do that. So we're going to get to that a little sure. later on. 
But why don't we start in a bit of a, a lighter place? Um, you've uh, have you brought a pint to the table? You said you've already had a few. What have you brought for the show? <laughs> so I have bought one of my very favorites. So I got back from dinner about an hour and a bit ago, and I, I said to my partner, I was like, okay, I gotta just have some bubbly, <laughs> stop <laughs> drinking, so I make some sense on this on this this lovely podcast. But um, I do have a currently unopened can of uh, one of my favorites, which is from a brewery in Toronto called Muddy York. Mm. Um, they're absolutely brilliant. And they, uh, this one is their Gaslight Hellas Lager. And, you know, lagers, lagers can be kind of boring, yep. right? Every brewery feels that they have to do one, and most of them do. Uh, this is one of the best lagers I've ever, ever drank. Really? They're okay. Truly fantastic. There are uh, three fantastic lagers and breweries in Toronto, and this is one of them. Okay. So uh, is this one you've had? Yeah. You, obviously, you said this is one of your favorites. So you've had yeah. it a time or two before. Um, I will, while you crack that open and get into it, I will mention okay. to the good listener, uh, episode go. 906 we did on Wednesday, and uh, we'll also tell the listener what happened here. But I had Andy Nita from the Nita Beer Company on the podcast, um, and their brewery does a uh, an advent calendar every year, and they mm. collaborate with a bunch of breweries from across the province and uh, 24 different pints for 24 days. And so um, he was in, and... I had known and liked his brewery for quite a while. Um, I've been a big supporter of theirs by drinking their beer. Uh, he's been a big supporter of ours by sponsoring some big episodes and things like that. Uh, and he comes in every year to talk about this calendar. And he was one of the last breweries uh, in Ottawa to go with a, a lager. And mm. he sort of said what you had just mentioned, that at some point you start to feel the pressure, like this, mm-hmm. you got to do it, right? And it's almost that... Um, it was the last thing he did because to him, it was the least interesting, right? It, yeah, it's sure. sort of a, it, it's kind of plain, it's kind of baseline and he wanted to experiment with some stuff, but, uh, he ended up making one that was named after his father. His father's name was Hans. And so this was called, uh, Hans and Die Hosen. Um, mm-hmm. apparently some sort of German background there, uh, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's really nice, right? And, and if you do it well, there's nothing wrong with a good lager, uh, lager, especially in the summer when it's hot and uh, and whatever. But he said, if I was going to do it, I wanted to sit down and make sure I do it right. And it sounds like this one from Muddy York that you're talking about. They've sat down and done it right. Yeah, 100%. And I think, so I've had some Nita beers and they're really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been to Ottawa in like a couple of years, but like when I was there, I've, ha- I've had some and they're actually really nice. So I would love to try that one. But uh, I feel like a lot of breweries, like either they do lagers in a big way because they want to sell their lagers and that's what they want to be known for because they're really easy drinking normally. Right. Or they do it because they feel they have to, right? Because folks come into the brewery and they don't really drink craft beer and so they'll go for the lager or the yes. pilsner. Yeah. And and so it's a, it's a smart decision to have a lager on tap. But yeah, the, the three breweries in Toronto that do exceptional lagers are Muddy York, mm-hmm. um, uh, Collective Arts do one called Audio Visual Lager, which is exceptional. I've seen um, that around. I haven't tried that one yet. I'll keep that in mind. It's really good, right? Yeah. Because it tastes of a lot. Like it has a really complex taste, which you don't expect from lagers. No. Um, and the third one is a slightly lesser known, but excellent Toronto brewery called People's Pint. Okay. Um, and they do a, a fantastic lager. So those three, and I've tried a lot of them, <laughs> are definitely are definitely the winners. And they're like beers that I always go to. And like, if we have folks over who aren't that keen on beer, these are always like you know, hey, try try a craft beer. This tastes really good, but it's not going to, you know, make you 
go, oh, God, what, what does this taste of? So, yeah, great beers, really great beers. Well, we'll let the good listener in here. You and I were supposed to record. Well, as we sit here now, it's Friday night. It's, uh, it's about mm-hmm. quarter to nine, and uh, we're both waiting for a dreaded 10.30 p.m. start for, uh, <laughs> for Maple Leafs. Luckily, it's a Friday, but still. 10.30's um, taking, the, taking the mickey, though. Why 10.30? Why I, not 10? I, okay, see, I went off on a bit of a thing on this on Twitter tonight. because Yeah, at... At 10 o'clock, you've almost wrapped your head around. I know our team has to go to California every year. There's going to be some 10 p.m. starts. And it just, it's that extra 30 minutes that they, they right. got to hit you with. And you're like, I, why do you got to be like this? And I bet you it's a conspiracy. Like if you looked at all those California team schedules, I bet you every other game starts yeah. at 10 o'clock. It's just when the Eastern team comes out, <laughs> they push it back that extra 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, but if you think about it, like if, you know, some Leafs games start at 7.30. I know, but I, it, right? you're I mean, shattering like, my my conspiracy theory. <laughs> you you got to give them their, like, you know, nobody cares about a 7.30 start, but for us, we're just like, we're the big market. We need to stay up for it's it, true. right? <laughs> I expect for my needs to be met, um, and I want this to go. I want it to go. But you and I were initially going to record this on Wednesday mm-hmm. um, at 8.30, and uh, same thing. This that night we were waiting for a 10 p.m. start, which was mm-hmm. at least tolerable. But um, that was the night that I ended up recording with uh, our good friend Andy from the Need a Beer Company. Sounds and like that, you had a great time. So <laughs> <laughs> this is it. He arrived at 5:30. We we were on the mics by like 5:40, 5:45. You know the the the, night, the typical pleasantries when someone arrives. But yeah, you mm-hmm. fire it right up. And probably talked till 7.15, 7.20 on the mics. And then as we're leaving, and this has happened before when Andy comes in, because you may know <laughs> when you own a brewery, you like your beer, right? Yeah, uh, sure. And he goes, you know, should we have one before I get out of here? I said, yeah, all right. Because at that point, it's 7.15 and you and I aren't scheduled to talk till 8.30. And then it's, <laughs> should we have another? I saw something. I didn't like this one. Should we wash it down with something? And I have this problem. And, and this is what I ran into that night. I am now... People that I'm very close to would disagree with this because I'm not always that nice to them. But people I don't know very well, I'm neurotically polite to. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the heart to tell Andy, it's time to go, man. Like, I got another show I need to do. But at the same time, now I'm being horribly impolite to you as my next guest that I'm supposed to. And I here I am going, Andy says he's coming at 5.30. These shows almost never go longer than 90 minutes three hours in between windows is going to be fine. It just, it wasn't. <laughs> he just, he's you like, know, as, as I said to you over email, it's totally fine for two reasons. So one was that I had my COVID-19 booster shot on Monday okay. and uh, I had minimal side effects. My arm hurt really badly, but nothing else that I thought. Right. Uh, but on Wednesday, when we were due to speak, uh, I find myself at about sort of four, 4 a.m. in the morning, right? I wake up at 4 a.m. For absolutely no reason. That's gross. No reason to, and I'm wide awake. And, you know, the shot can do this, right? Because yep. it messes with your immune system and stuff like that. So I get up at 4 a.m. and I'm like, you know what? Actually, I'm fine. I'm just going to have some coffee, get on with some work. It's, it's 4 a.m., right? It's in the middle of the den. Yes. <laughs> this isn't like 6 where it's just like nice to wake up early and you feel accomplished. It's <laughs> it's the middle of the damn night. Um. So I get up at 4 a.m. and I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I'm like, I'm going to crash, I'm going to crash, I'm going to crash. And I get through my working day to like 5 o'clock. And then, uh, you know, I, I make it through dinner and I'm like, wow, 
this is great. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is great. And then about the time you were messaging me saying, you know what, this has gone on for a while. Yeah. Uh, I was beginning to crash. Okay. <laughs> and so really I was like, it's really fine. Maybe I won't be at my best if we speak now. <laughs> and so you were like, I'm so sorry. I was like, it's fine. Yeah. Well, and this is <laughs> and it. I meant it. Cause I'm like, I would really love to go to sleep. <laughs> Well, and this is how we all feel just in general when the Leafs play that late. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Especially with the, if you've had the shot and it's messed with your sleep a little bit. So yeah. that does but make me. They kept me... me awake. The Leafs kept me awake right. remarkably for a stellar performance. But, yes. um, you know, I, after, straight after that, I, you know, walked upstairs from the spare room to, to the bedroom, uh, which I share with my partner. And I, I very rarely fall straight asleep. And I literally got into bed and was just gone. Dumb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that does make good. me feel a little bit better. But, no, uh, no. I did have someone, I did have someone that I was venting, not venting, like I love Andy. I know this is a risk when Andy comes in, um, but I'm telling this story the next day to a friend. I'm like, you know, I, I'm just too polite to, to tell him, you know, I got something else I need to do now. And my friend's like, but not too polite to, or like, but so impolite, you can just leave someone else hanging. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I hadn't really seen it in that light, but yeah, you're right. So. Um, no, I, I, I couldn't have cared less. I, I got to be honest, like it was totally fine. I, you know, went out for my earliest dinner tonight and, um, you know, on, on weekdays I have a rule where I only have like one beer, right? So right. I had my one beer lined up to, to speak to you and tonight you get me with two plus whatever I'm drinking now. So sure. I'm much more entertaining. All right. Like, well, this is a weekend this, night. This turns out. All right then. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you may want to <laughs> stay tuned to Vicky on Twitter during the leaf game as she's got a couple points into her as well. We'll see how the game goes. <laughs> Uh, I should mention what I'm drinking. This is uh, from Sawdust City, and I've had this one before, um, but while Andy was here, he also did a bit of a rampage through my beer supply, uh, so the couple of the new ones I had lined up have now had <laughs> to be replenished, and so I'll get to that maybe next week. This one I've had before, but I do love it, so uh, it'll fit in quite nicely here. Uh, from Sawdust City up in Cravenhurst, um, this is the Skinny Dipping Stout. Um, and it says as refreshing, uh, as refreshing as a late night naked, uh, dip. So, all right. Like, um, a little bit to that, but it says it's, uh, I'm a stout guy. This is the time of year for stouts. I've been saying it for, you know, several weeks now on the show. Um, fall is time for stouts and, and that's all my stuff. So this is a 5.5. It does say it's going to be a little sweet, uh, which I do recall with, uh, it's very malty, but it's got some chocolate to it as well. Um, but I do remember this one being a very nice stout. So that's what I'll be riding with here on this uh, Friday evening edition of the show. It's a, it's a great stout. Is I that... mean, I, I'm biased. I love, like, Soda City is probably my favorite Ontario brewery. Okay. So I, yeah. I pretty much love everything that they do. And it, it was the first Ontario brewery that I ever tried a beer from, would you believe? Really? Yeah. Do you remember really what the beer weird. was? <sighs> it was probably Lone Pine IPA, which okay. remains one of my all-time favorites. Right. But uh, yeah, weirdly enough, the, the person that I was uh, dating at the time, not the same person as I'm dating now, <laughs> uh, we went on a road trip and we went through Muskoka. This mm -hmm. was when I was visiting Ontario and uh, like the Toronto area before I officially moved here. And we ended up at Sawdust City. Right. Um, and uh, I wasn't driving. <laughs> so I, I had more, I, I sampled uh, their wheel of beers or at least, you know, quite a few of them. And, right. Uh, yeah, it's weird that it was the first Ontario brewery that I ever tried and remains one of my favorite. I think I got very lucky with that one. They make very nice stuff for they're, sure. They're exceptional. Yeah. I, re I really like their stuff and I like the place. And uh, I've never yeah, been into it's... the brewery. It's always been... Uh, yeah. <gasps> you have to go. We oh. um, we generally go... My partner really loves cross-country skiing. Like I try, but I'm terrible at it. So <laughs> I, do, I do snowshoeing. Okay. Um, but obviously, Gravenhurst is really near like a lot of really good cross-country skiing. So we... Um, 
a couple of years ago now, before the pandemic, we rented an Airbnb in Gravenhurst. Oh, nice. Uh, skiing stroke snowshoeing for me during the day. And then we went to the brewery at night. Yes. Um, you know, tried pretty much everything they did. And it was just <laughs> one of those wonderful evenings that you kind of look back on now and you're like, I wish to repeat this someday. Yes. Remember when <laughs> life was full of things outside my house. <laughs> right. They also sell great butter tarts from like a local baker, I think. I remember having a terrific butter tart sort of city. It's great. <laughs> I'm get, I'm big into that, right? Especially now that the pandemic, well, now that the pandemic's been roaring for a while, but when the, mm-hmm. a bunch of these breweries started doing deliveries, there's a couple here in Ottawa um, that uh, it might be Silver 7, uh, I'm forgetting now, I'm blanking, but the one that makes the Silver 7 lager up here, or, uh, mm-hmm. Silver 7 pint, there's a couple that like, if they had a restaurant next door or a food truck next door, like order however many beers and you can also through their website order food from this place right. and vice versa, right? If you go to this bakery or this restaurant and they're partnered with the brewery, we'll bring you six of, of whatever. I think yeah. that stuff's kind of cool, right? Might as well partner Fantastic. up. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, a lot of the, a couple of the, my favorite restaurants here, because the, the liquor laws have, um, you know, relaxed, For because sure. you can now get takeaway cans and things. Yes. And a couple of the, like, restaurants near me, like, came up with this amazing, like, can selection from, you know, not just Toronto breweries, but, like, Ottawa breweries and mm-hmm. elsewhere in Ontario, too. So they ended up stocking beers that you couldn't get anywhere else. Right. And it was really, and it's such a great business decision, For right? Because sure. you get people who are in, involved in craft beer and are into craft beer, and you're like, "Hey, try this from you know, Calabogie or, you know, uh, a new brewery in Ottawa. Nobody's ever heard of it yeah. before." And you're like, "Yeah, I'll buy one of those with my dinner for sure." Well, like, yeah, in either direction, right? I'm on here buying twelve beers. Yeah, why wouldn't I try a few of those tarts from whoever your yeah. neighbor is or whatever it might be, right? So, why wouldn't it's been you really pair? nice to see like smaller businesses kind of support each other during the pandemic, like. So you mentioned you're, uh, you've, you've, you haven't loved or haven't gotten super, um, you know, super well off yet with the cross country skiing. I know you like skating and I know the, <laughs> the rinks are starting to, uh, open up both, uh, in Toronto and in Ottawa here, but did I see on Twitter, you had, uh, an incident? <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, so every day that I work from home, I make sure that I like go out during the day, right? Just for a walk around the neighborhood. You know, I go to the local park, watch the dogs in the dog park, just make sure that I give my brain a break. Sure. Yesterday in Toronto, it was awful, right? Like it was raining. It's sort of minus three or four with wind chill. It's just genuinely unpleasant. But I kind of got to about midday and I wasn't really making much headway with my work because I'm looking at all this stuff that's going on in the world and it's all stressful and ridiculous and whatever. And so I'm like, right, I'm going to go on my walk. Right. I right. put on my, my rain jacket and I go on my normal walk and I'm like, I'll head to the local park and the rinks are due to open this re- weekend. So I'll, I'll check out the ice rink. I'll see, you know, are they making any progress or whatever? I'll just see how it's going. Yeah. So I go to the local rink and, uh, I can't really see from like above the park, uh, cause there's the screens, uh, the plastic screens for hockey at either end, obviously for sure. the pucks that yep. are not going to escape and they're all like fogged up. So I can't see it. So I walk towards the rink and I don't know whether this is the same at all outdoor rinks, but the heat, the cooling pad is a rectangle and the actual <laughs> rink of course is kind of like an oval <laughs> yes. or curved at the end. Yeah. And so I walk towards the edge of the rink and the, the floor, the ground is wet. I can't see anything. And I walk on a concrete bit just towards the edge of the rink and I go flying. Oh no. Like I end up on the floor and I'm like, what the hell? And I'm actually like looking around and I'm like, there's nobody around, right? Cause it's raining in Toronto. I'm at the edge of the park. I'm like looking around. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I'm on my knees right. on this piece of 
this corner of ice and I'm trying to get off it. <laughs> and I can't. Like Bambi right? trying to stand up. Right? <laughs> it's about three or four millimeters of ice, right? Because it's Oof. on the edge of this refrigerated concrete pad. Right. And it's covered in rainwater. So it's like the slipperiest. Yes. <laughs> it's like ice is slippery, but this isn't like an ice rink, right? Where <laughs> ice, if it's properly cooled, you can walk on with yep. like decent grip shoes. It's not like that. I, I'm like, how do I get off this? <laughs> so I'm scrabbling around on my front in this like, tiny triangle of ice. And I eventually conclude that if I put my good leg, which I haven't fallen on, out, and I kick myself off the boards, the outside of the boards. Right, like a push-off? the rubber yeah. grip. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody's around. I'm, like, looking around being like, will anyone, like, help me here? And okay, I so that was my next question, though. Are you the type of person? I'm the complete opposite. I would rather suffer through this by myself and know that nobody else saw this happen. It sounds like you were in enough distress that you're like, please, somebody help me. I mean, I was just I was just going for a walk and suddenly right. I've like flown in the air and landed on my side. And it, it just looked like a wet piece of concrete. It didn't like it's weird because I skate on that rink three or four times a week in season. Right. right yeah. I know that corner is iced up normally, but because it's new, yes. it's not white at all. Okay. It just looks like the concrete below it because the ice is a few millimeters <laughs> thick on it. Right. So I know it's there instinctively. I just didn't think it would be there right now. It's so stupid, right? Because right. I, I know that rink. <laughs> um, but anyway, I got myself off and I stood up and I'm, you know, kind of, to be honest, I'm like checking myself. I'm like, that could have been a lot. And the first thing I thought was that could be a lot freaking worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I could have easily cracked my cracked my head or mm -hmm. you know broken a wrist whilst landing, and I landed sort of flat on my side. Right. Um, so I've got a big ass bruise on my calf, um, <laughs> but it's fine. It's a bruised calf. Um, yeah. And I, I walked away from it. I'm like, this is a terrible day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Sounds I cannot. Like I made myself go on my walk in my in, in the rain, and this is how I'm rewarded. I am going straight home. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> at the old apartment building i'll tell this story i don't think i've ever told a public i've only ever told like three people because it's horribly embarrassing but at my old apartment building you had to you had to jaywalk to catch the bus and it was mm -hmm. a reasonably i don't want to say like it wasn't like four lanes or anything but it was a pretty busy road and so in the winter the snowbanks on both sides would end up being like hip high if you were standing on the sidewalk and then of course when you were coming down, you had the extra height of the, the curb, whatever, six inches nice. or, or whatever. So you're kind of standing on top and you're looking in both directions, waiting for me to clear. And then you kind of have to make this leap down onto the road. And then, you know, depending on how busy it is, you can either walk or run or whatever to get across to catch the bus on the other side. And so there's this night where I'm standing up there. I'm good. I, the snow actually feels pretty grippy. I, I got a nice pair of winter boots. I'm doing all right. Mm -hmm. And I look though down and I can see that the bus that I need to catch is about a block away. Like you can sort of see it coming into view. And on the other side, there's traffic coming from my left that is closer than that, but still I can make it close, but I'm going to have to run close. Mm -hmm. So I get down and I take a couple of really good strides and it's only, you know, a two lane road, but so I get most of the way across and about eight to 10 inches away from the other snowbank, I hit a patch of sheer ice oh. and it launches me like Superman. I am now mm -hmm. horizontal with the road, like 
gliding over the snowbank that I was about to have to leap up onto. Mm -hmm. And I'm hurt, but more so I'm embarrassed. Like you jump up, I'm fine. This is fine, right? Like I'm good. I have no idea how many people are around. I refuse to look up and, and look to see how many, you know, what might have happened. But like mm -hmm. I said, I'm bruised and I'm sore. And when I get home, I find out that my chest and stomach are cut up. Um, but I'm more worried about my bruised ego at the moment. So I get to the bus stop, which now is only a few steps away, and I'm sort of brushing myself on, and I step onto the bus thinking, you know, at least none of these people will have seen it. And I go and I sit down, and literally within a second of sitting down, <laughs> the person across the aisle goes, I'm not going to lie, we all saw that. <laughs> I just, okay, put my head down, ride the bus in shame, head drooped, right? Like, there's nothing to be said. There's no defense. It just is part of Canadian winter, right? That's... that's you see, I, I feel like I somehow got over that. So, like, I started having skating lessons in 2018, mm -hmm. having never skated before in my life. Like, right. I don't mean just, like, never seriously. I mean, literally, I'd never put my feet in skates and on the ice. Right. Nor had I ever rollerbladed. Okay. Nor had I ever skied. Like, I had done nothing even like that. True. Um, and so during my time here, I have, you know, I'm back in lessons now that started in September. Hmm. And I, I have to tell you, there is no greater group of more courageous people than adults learning to skate in Canada. I agree with that completely, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the whole, like, you know, obviously the falling over on the corner of the ice rink. Yeah before the ice rinks had even opened <laughs> to take my first fall of the outdoor season when I wasn't even trying to skate yeah. was a little humiliating. But generally speaking, like falling over when I'm on skates is just like a normal thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've swapped horror stories. Uh, why don't we talk about a team that right now doesn't have too many horror stories going on? Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs right now, second in the division. Uh, they're, they've won 11 of their last 13 uh, by the time people hear this, the Friday night game will be in the rear view. So um, that record will obviously have changed a little bit, but uh, pretty good. Well, a lot of people got pretty upset about the start. At one point, they were two and four, two and five uh, before yeah. this crazy run that they've been on. Uh, I don't think anyone believed that they were two and five bad. I don't no. think anyone believes that they're 11 and two good. Uh, it's a long season. Things kind of even out, but I know you've been... Uh, you know, you watching just as closely as I have. What do you make of this team right now? Okay, so I'll be a typical Toronto Maple Leaf supporter and say, like, okay, so obviously it's good where they are in the league. Mm -hmm. I think considering their start, it's remarkable mm -hmm. that they've um, got to that point. However, I see, so I see a few things that are happening that are kind of weird. Um, and one of them is that they do everything right, but never all at once. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which is. Which is different, maybe, maybe, so I'm kind of glad we didn't speak on Wednesday night, because on Wednesday night, they did everything right all at once, probably for the first time this season. That's true, yeah, pretty complete game. And so last season, from from my perspective, and please disagree with me, um, they were an attacking team, right? They would score six, and they would concede four, and you're good, right? They're sure. a super attacking team, they would outscore people, and they took advantage of their ridiculously kind of weighted offense. Mm -hmm. Uh this season, they've kind of they when they started being good, they went for the offense, and you know the top uh, four were like absolutely flying, and then they completely switched, and then they relied on the defense and their goaltending, and right. the offense did nothing for a few <laughs> games, and the penalty kill was amazing, and the power play was 
terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's interesting to me because I've never seen the Leafs be a, a good defensive team, really, like overall in the in the only very few years I've followed them. Mm-hmm. And in this recent run, they've won a lot of games because they're a defensive team and their goaltending is exceptional. So it's weird. If I feel like they're almost on the cusp. If they figure out how to put everything together, they should I be great. They, I think they've got it. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre because yeah, last year they just outscored people, right? That that that's fine. Well, the only, it, it the only thing I would say there and it it's a disagreement, but only a little bit, in that I felt like they defended reasonably well for parts of last season, but the problem became like Jack Campbell last year played, I think only twenty out of the fifty-six games. Right. Freddie was not good. Hutch no. was Hutch. Like they had a ton of goaltending injuries, and so when you looked at some of the advanced statistics, they'd say things like, you know, you're giving up far fewer chances than you did over the past few years, but they're all going in the net. Mm-hmm. And once Jack Campbell kind of got in there and stole the job away, um, you know, it, it did seem to steady a little bit late in the year, and even in the playoff round against Montreal. I, I thought, to be honest with you, the team defended pretty well. And, and Campbell, there was a couple stinkers you didn't love. Right. I didn't think he was great, but I didn't think he was the problem either. The problem really was just John Tavares got hurt. Matthews and Marner didn't do shit. And and Nylander did, and, but it wasn't enough. So yeah. I, I sort of see your point. I do feel like some of the defensive numbers got pulled down a bit last year by the fact that they were defending reasonably well, but yeah. a lot of it was still going in the net because your goaltending wasn't any good. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I don't know whether it's possible to be a perfect hockey team, right? Like, not I don't even think era, Tampa, are, yeah. Tampa are not a perfect hockey team. No. They've won the last two Stanley Cups. I, I don't think it, it's possible to do all things at once all the time. Right. Um, but it is intriguing to me that the Leafs, even this season, so just taking this season and mm-hmm. I, I accept what you say about the playoffs and the good defense and, you know, the fact that Mario Matthews inexplicably went to sleep. I, I get that. Yeah. But just taking this season, they've had points where they can do all of the things really yes. well. Yep. So the penalty kill, which is kind of new to be honest, like yep. for being that good at it, the the power play was awful last season yes, overall, it was, yeah. and they, it's both been really good and awful this season. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the offense and the defense have both been really good or quite bad. So it it's interesting to me because you were saying like they they made a really bad start to the season. They did for a long time. The third line did. Jack shit, basically. Yep. I don't know that I can say that on online, but sure like they didn't do anything. And now the third line's looking really good. So maybe it does just need all time to adjust. And if they can get it all clicking, maybe it's going to be really good. That's my hope. And even um, some of those games, like through this, whatever it's been, 11 and 2 stretch, there's been games that they haven't scored much, right? You're right. The offense has struggled at times, but mm-hmm. the defense has been so good on those nights right. that you still get away with it, right? And I think some of that is percentage driven. Like the Leafs are the second worst shooting percentage team in the league that's not going to last they are mm-hmm. typically um one of the highest percentage shooting team like austin matthews is not going to shoot five percent all year he's a career 15 percent shooter as those things start to come back you know as they always do over the course of a long 82 game season you know maybe that starts to kind of round back into form a little bit as well so but you're right it you are seeing more nights this year where all of it happens on the same night and you can throw a guy like joseph wall who wasn't really impressing anyone in the minors, mm-hmm. but has been fine at the end. And you don't, if you're playing well, if you're scoring mm-hmm. the way you should and you're defending the way you should, you should not need a 22-year-old rookie goaltender to steal you games. You should need right. him to just and, be fine. 
Yeah, it's been great that they've been able to use some things. I guess, so there's a couple of questions I have which are unanswered at the moment. So one is, when they've not scored a lot, right? So when the the top top four, and you know who I mean by that, have sure. not had the chances or have not scored or whatever, is that because they're contributing to the defensive effort in such a way that it means that they can't really get those opportunities? Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. do you have to like compromise your offense to that point to get this level of defense? In which case, where are they going to find the middle ground? Because I don't think it's sustainable. No, it's not. And that's the age old quote. Like we saw John Tortorella ripping right. Connor McDavid this year, going, he can't play like that. Really? He can't play like the best player in the world. Maybe you no, let Connor he, do was, his thing. I saw that and it was ridiculous. Yeah. Maybe you let Connor <laughs> do his thing and ask some of the plugs on the third and fourth line to do the defensive yeah, no, that, grunt work. That <laughs> was, was a, quite a ridiculous yeah. moment. I saw that and I kind of laughed. I was like, no, that's not it like no no. that's not the Um, right yeah yeah but this and the second thing i have is frankly if jack campbell gets injured now what the Mm. hell (laughs) yeah right because we do not like mrazek um so i I like mrazek i think he's a good goalie but obviously he has severe injury issues like can they get him fit or not because we really need him this is not sustainable um you don't want to end up at the moment if jack campbell gets injured the leafs fall apart i think that's correct yeah i think you end up with with either Hutch or Joseph Wall again, uh, probably Joseph Wall at this point. It looks like it looks like they've decided because honestly, Hutch last year he wasn't great, but he's not going to be great. It's not on the table. He's a number three goalie, right? Right, and, and he was fine last season for what yeah. he is. Um, yeah, Hutch. Hutch seems like a super nice person, yes, super nice teammate, and stuff like that. Like good in the room. But we call Joseth that. Wall can get better. Hutchinson will not be getting. That's better. correct. That's right. So I, I, I no, I agree with you though. Mrazek was brought in to help. This was supposed to be like a one A one B, yeah. And when he's healthy, but that's the point you made is correct. Like if you wanted, you know, Campbell to play fifty and and Mrazek to play thirty two, well, that's sort of off the tape because because they don't know that Jack Campbell can play number one minutes, right? He's never had yeah. to before, and he's a bit injury-prone himself. He got, yeah, he got injured last season. So, you know, the Leafs are one Jack Campbell injury away from being Calamity. sort of uh, in yeah. real trouble. So they really need to sort out that goaltending. I you know, I like Joseph Wall a lot. I think he's he's done really well. but um, And I like that he's been given opportunities. I believe he's starting it sustainable? tonight. Sustainable? And will yeah. they go on a long Stanley Cup run with him as their backup? Mm, Probably not. Right. So, um yeah, they need to figure that out. <laughs> no, I agree with that completely. And I, I let me ask your opinion then. And it's, you know, this is what we do here. They're just kicking opinions back and forth. As you sit here, Jack Campbell is an unrestricted free agent this summer and he needs a new contract. Mm-hmm. And he seems like just about the sweetest guy in the world. But he also has an agent that's going to tell him, yeah, no, man, sure. you get paid, right? You make sure you get yours. So would you be trying right now? to get a deal done, even though you haven't yet seen Jack Campbell as a number one for 82 games and, you know, ask him to get through a first and maybe a second round, or do you wait and do it after you see what he looks like the rest of the way? Does he stay healthy? Is he good in the playoffs? Knowing that if you do that, the price might actually go up though. Yeah. I hmm. Have it, you it, seen it, enough? It, it, it's a tricky one. I think I've seen enough, right? Yeah. So um, not only is he obviously good enough, right? He what, didn't he break the record for number of like wins uh, to start a season in the LH, NHL, something ridiculous. So you do that, and then people say, "Oh well, it was just a fluke." And then you do what he's done this season, and people are like, "Um, 
okay, so maybe this guy's the real deal. And from from my understanding, Jack Campbell was always supposed to be the real deal. He yes. was picked pretty high. He was, was developed. He was mentored yeah. by Jonathan Quick from LA Kings. He was always supposed to be the real deal. And there was something going on with his mindset, right? right. So his, you know, the psychology behind the way that he plays this game and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the Leafs have cracked it and maybe he's literally a top goalie. That right. would that would be my my thought behind it. So you would try um, and, and do it now before that price gets too much higher. Yeah, and, and maybe the locker room in the Leafs suits him. Whatever the dynamic is, and there. they clearly um, love him, right? The rest of the guys, everybody freaking loves Jack Campbell. Yes. And he, he is clearly truly fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would do it as soon as you possibly can, and obviously with that, you accept that you may have to move someone something um to afford his contract but you know if you get a top goalie for x number of years then okay i think that's true i the leafs are gonna be in cap trouble for the foreseeable future that's the way they're built that's the way it's gonna go but nobody goes deep in the playoffs without solid goaltending and as you've pointed out a jack campbell injury right now sinks this team right mm-hmm. so um but if they have jack campbell playing like this and if this is who jack campbell really is and how good he's supposed to be and he's comfortable here and he's happy here yeah maybe you have to find a way to get that done and and maybe yeah, it means I, moving out a defenseman or something like that but yeah I, I think at some point you it to me it's real as well i still don't know what that number is and i still there is a part of me that goes I get it that I haven't yet seen him go through an 82 game season as a number one goalie and help us win a playoff round. Like those are fair points. Like they're reasonable arguments, but at the same time, if you wait for him to do that and he does it successfully, instead of being, I have no idea, let's say a four and a half million dollar goalie, maybe he's a six and a half million dollar goalie and you you can't do it anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I just feel like, you know, so if you have a promising winger, for example, who gets ridiculous numbers of points one season, but he's playing with your top center and your top other winger, right? Like that's harder to work out. When you have a goalie in the NHL who's uh, facing thirty plus shots a night yep. most times, yep. and he has that save percentage that literally puts him at the damn top of the <laughs> NHL right now or nearby, like how long are you going to say that's a fluke for? Right. No, I like, think I, that's I, fair. I just feel like it's easier metric to sort out. This is one of those ones that I don't get to, depending on the day, I'm willing to accept arguments on both sides, right? I, I, this is, I, and I think, and Twitter is the wrong place for this standpoint, um, to say you don't have to be strongly opinionated on every single topic that comes across here. here. I, I think, I think I agree with you. I think I'm ready to do it. I think I'd lock him up long-term, I would, but I am open to the arguments against them that make you go mm, you know like you haven't it's seen it yet a question of who else you're gonna get right yep. like, because um from my understanding the availabilities of goalies this season that we're going to move like Ulmark to boston i think yep. it was a pretty big move and mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of promising goalies that moved yep. uh, in this past season um who do you see coming up that could possibly replace him yeah um I don't. I don't know. No. I haven't really looked into it. I haven't really thought about it. But there's not much. I don't. Is think. there going to be a lot of goalies available? But I don't think so. And like teams don't let them get that far if they're good. Like if they're better than Jack Campbell and the way he's playing right now, then some the team locks him up. Like right. you just they don't. And we get see. I, I I reckon he's going as the third goalie for the U.S. to the Olympics. If the looks US like it. Yeah. And like I and I would have thought at the beginning of the year I would have thought Demko from Vancouver, but they've been so bad. I I I assume Jack yeah. Campbell's the guy now. 
I think they'll take him as as the third yes. goalie, and I actually think that's the best thing because he probably won't play. That's above that, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the best case scenario for Leafs fans. Yes, uh, but he'll get to be part of that. Yep. Um, and I think that would be amazing for him as as a guy who obviously has kind of you know had a lot of promise and then didn't really get there for several years. Um, I think just being part of that Olympics experience and, you know, being with Austin Matthews and Patrick Kane and mm-hmm. all these people, you know, I think that would be incredible for him. So the best case scenario is Jack Campbell goes to the Olympics as the third choice goalie. Any chance we can get Austin Matthews to go over there as their 14th forward and not play? Because that'd be yeah, good. He's going to be the first line center <laughs> yes, for sure. Yes, but, yeah. uh, but you're right. I, like Nobody's going to beat Canada at the Olympics. I will stand by that. That is an insane group ooh, of players that they will send. Like this. Okay. Strong take. Love that. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the article that you uh, you wrote sure. not too long ago? Because I think it's important. And, and let me start here because I've had this conversation with a few people and they all seem to give me the crooked eye. So let me let me run it by you first. And again, like you said a minute ago, tell me why I'm wrong. Like disagree with me because sure. it's far more important for the listeners to hear what you think than another one of Matt's stupid opinions, which sure. they get every week. Um, there's a part of me... I still think everyone should do it. I still believe that the vaccines have been developed correctly. I still have every bit the confidence in them that I did before when I was getting it myself and all my friends were. But there is a part of me that has more sympathy or empathy um, for parents who are nervous about giving it to their kids. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that we do as adults that we wouldn't let our kids do, right? That, yeah, whether sure. it be bungee jumping or whatever. If you want to get a tattoo, you can do that at 18. You're not doing it right now when you still live at mm-hmm. home. Or, and I, I understand that these things are are different than a life-saving vaccine. And again, I'm fully on board with I believe parents should do this. But I was talking to a friend of mine this week who said, um, you know, when it was her time to sign up to get vaccinated, she did it that day. Like as soon as it was possible, she logged in, got her appointment, yeah. was pumped about it. And she did the exact same thing when it was time for her son to, she logged in, got the appointment or whatever, but she said she feels different. She's going to go and do it. She's, but there's a part of her nagging that, that's nagging away at her mind saying, if my kid is the one in whatever, three million, right? The, the chances are astronomical that anything could possibly go wrong, but you would feel awful as a parent knowing I made that choice and whatever. So you know, with the, the, the pretense all laid down there that of course it's the right decision to do it. Is that a fair position to be more sympathetic to people who are having a harder time, you know, signing their kids up than they ever had signing themselves up? Yeah. So I, I, I get that and I sympathize with that a hundred percent. So, um, we, we do know, and I have to be careful what I say here because I make sure it's kind of correct and things. So um, in younger boys particularly, there is an exceptionally rare side effect, which is uh, myocarditis, mm-hmm. which is heart inflammation, right. which sounds terrifying. Yeah. And it's it's not a good thing. Nobody nobody you know is ever going to be like really happy if that's the case. Um, as far as I know, no Canadian child, and I'm not even sure in the United States, has ever died from myocarditis it's called due to the vaccine okay uh it is detectable it is treatable and it often fully resolves and i'm saying that as a person who has no medical expertise i just am kind of i guess fluent in a lot of uh, scientific language that these studies use so i understand them covid19 uh the virus and the infection also causes myocarditis at a far greater 
um, incidents in children and adults right. than the vaccine does. So, and and several other negative effects, of course. Um, sure. You know, deaths in children are exceptionally rare. Uh, but for example, in children with cancer, children with cancer are more susceptible. And I think you probably know from following me on Twitter and things, I was a child with leukemia. Mm -hmm. So I had leukemia when I was seven years, years old. And, you know, the notion of being a child with leukemia in this pandemic is very scary. Right. Um, because you entirely rely on others around you to be careful and be vaccinated. And I went through this with things like measles when I was a child. You know, uh, kids that were unvaccinated were a huge hazard to me. Right. Because uh, I didn't have a functional immune system. But with regards to the vaccine and potential side effects, which we know what they are now, we know they exist and we know they're exceptionally rare, and the increased risk from COVID-19, um, you know, I, I, I agree with all of the studies um, that have been done and that the risk benefit is better for to get your children vaccinated than to not. Is there, because um, I'll be honest with you, like I've had a kidney transplant, so I'm on immunosuppressants. Yeah. And so similar to what you were going through as a child, I'm not sure what it meant into your adulthood and, and things like that, but same deal. I've had to be, it, obviously I got vaccinated as soon as I could, but it doesn't mean much. Like it may not have meant much. Like we don't know. I had a, a third jab in September. Like I was one of the very mm -hmm. first people to get like, I'm in that triple crown club. Like it's very That's exclusive, great. right? So <laughs> yeah, but in the, um, you know, that first dose or two, I'm reading enough thing, and the problem becomes you just read too much, right? You don't know what you're talking about. And so every article you just click on, if you're like me, um, and go, oh, that sounds bad. Oh, that sounds good. And you just go on this horrible pendulum mm -hmm. or, or roller coaster. But ultimately what I had to decide for myself was after two shots at the time, I didn't know that there would be a third coming. Mm -hmm. but I still need to be more careful than most people. And what that boiled down to was not spending time with unvaccinated people. That right. just was a personal choice that I had to make. And so I sort of, like I said, I, I tried very hard not to be, but I was annoyed with my friends who were not vaccinated. And I've said on the show, talking to a couple different people before, I don't think we fully know yet what this pandemic has done to us socially, not just in the sense that we've all been locked at home for so there is no doubt in my mind that this is permanently changed certain relationships, not just yeah, in my life, but really. in a lot of lives, right? That it's changed the way you interact with family. If they've gone one way and you've gone another, and now you can't do things together or your friends or whatever, because I have had no choice, but to depend on the people around me to be vaccinated, right. to protect me from, from what's going on. And I, if I'm being honest, I probably have taken it more personally than I should have mm -hmm. with the people in my life that I thought I could depend on who didn't. And so this is another one of those things where as we circle back to my initial premise about kids, for the longest time, I, I felt guilty. I don't have kids, but I felt guilty and it, the science made sense to me. We The kids were not involved in the initial testing, so we couldn't mm -hmm. just start giving them the vaccine, but adults got vaccinated, life went back to normal, including for kids, but they weren't vaccinated. They were almost just sort of like back at it, like we're ready to move on and we'll get to you later. Uh, and so it's sort of a, an interesting phenomenon now to see how many parents are lining up quick. I, I've seen uh, another friend of mine say that, you know, one of her kids came home and said that, uh, you know, it's a conversation in his grade five class that, you know, so-and-so went today and so-and-so is going on the weekend. Like a lot of kids are excited about this too. Is, sure. there, is there a, uh, you know, 
I'm not even sure what my question is. I just have all these yeah. thoughts and I'm like trying to hand it to you. Like, what does it's this okay. mean? I, so I have a couple of thoughts. Good. If, if that Hit will me. save you here. It right, will. Okay. <laughs> so first, I, I think you raised something in your, like pre- when you were previously talking a few minutes ago, right? With regards to- I do that. Know, I talk a lot. Wait, no, it's totally fine. <laughs> um, but so, okay. So if you're a parent and you get your child vaccinated, and that child has the, I don't even know what the stat is, but the very, 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 very rare side effect of myocarditis, mm-hmm. for example. Um, then you know that your decision to get them vaccinated has caused that, probably, right? right? Yep. If they get COVID-19 in their school or their daycare from somebody, whether it be another child, a teacher, whoever, mm-hmm. and they come home and they have COVID-19, you're like, well, I couldn't do anything about this, right? It's a difference in action leading to consequence. And okay. I completely understand that. There's a there's sort of a direct action with getting your child vaccinated and what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing about public health and vaccination is the best thing that can happen if you get your child vaccinated against this disease, against measles and things, is absolutely nothing, right? The best thing that happens is nothing happens. Right, okay. So it's really hard to see, right? If public health succeeds in a vaccination campaign for oh, I don't know, hep, you know, hepatitis or, um, you know, if it succeeds in uh, prescribing uh, PrEP for uh, HIV prevention, something like that, the best thing that happens is nothing. (laughs) Yeah. And I I hate to interrupt you there because I remember, and this was, I can't even remember who tweeted it out, um, but we're like two, three months into the pandemic at this point, and someone tweeted out, the best possible thing that could happen as they were shutting down the economy, masking, everything is going to close for a bit. The best possible thing that could happen is that all the doubters will be able to go, see, told you so, overblown. And they've been doing it throughout the damn pandemic anyway, but right? But ideally, like, look, all these things... never happened. Well, isn't that a success? That's, what, that's right. the point. The whole <laughs> thing was, we're trying to squash this, and you'll be able to say, see, it was never a thing. Well, maybe it was never a thing, or maybe we crushed it. Now, we didn't crush it, yeah. but all along that's been the the you have to believe in the science right you have to be able to go this is we've averted the worst because we did the right things not because it was never a threat at all but people are bad with things that they can't see yes they're really bad at it and so you know early on in the the pandemic people were predicting that ontario i think could top 10,000 15,000 whatever cases per day Mm -hmm. and then it didn't happen and so you have these people are turning around being like well we told you so. Right. And it's like, but we, we we've did all been at home for six that. months. <laughs> right. We we did that to pre- stuff to prevent that, and that's and it worked. And yes. look at where we are. But people don't do well with things that don't happen. Right. Okay. And frankly, you see this with everything from the pandemic to climate change. Yes. So the recent floods that have happened in BC, mm-hmm. right? Canada is experiencing worse climate change. I think it's double the climate change of most parts in the world. And then these floods happen in BC and people are like, oh, right. That's that, that the contribution to this is probably climate change. Right. And it's, it's true. Like it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But people have to see things happening, see the worst case scenario to act. Right. And um, frankly, and I'll, I'll talk about this because I think it's important. So the new variant of, uh, of SARS-CoV-2 that has very, been very recently discovered in uh, South, Southern Africa mm-hmm. So people have been talking for a, over a year about how important it is to vaccinate lower to middle income countries as well as just rich countries like where we live now. And that not doing so will result in new, potentially, uh, vaccine-resistant variants arising. Yeah, and look grounds. at what has just happened. Like right. People have warned us 
And it has now happened, and it is no surprise to anyone in the know at all. And yet we're like, oh, oh, well, how did this happen? You know, it's it's just people don't do well with seeing things not happen. They right. they have to see things happen to actually make action. And it's it happens all over humanity in a very uh, varied well, uh, <laughs> variety of scenarios, and it's unfortunate. Well, I've I've I kicked this section of the show off by talking about your article. Let's push that back another second because because we have landed here now with this new discussion sure. this week on. Um, this South African, I, I believe we're calling it Omicron. Is that? Uh, uh, oh, micro, uh, yeah, Omicron, Omicron, I don't know. Uh, that may be an accent thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <We've been laughs> so anyway, there is another variant that has been labeled on Friday by the mm-hmm. WHO, uh, a variant of concern. Now mm-hmm. we have seen other variants of concern. Some of them turn into something. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't. Um, but there are reasons to be alarmed about this one um what do you know about it what is the you know we did see canada today well two things canada closed you know direct travel i guess from a couple of these countries but at the same time later in the day we learned that someone who has tested positive in hong kong had come from canada so it has been on our soil whether it's here spreading we don't yet know what is the story on this new variant and why is it more concerning than the Delta one that is, or is it to you? I shouldn't put that out there unless you say so. Yeah. Uh, so just first of all, I, I should definitely state that I'm not a virologist or an infectious disease specialist. I'm a molecular biologist. So it just basically means that I can read this stuff and understand it, but I have no direct expertise. Well, and in this it, is so. why I, you've been a brilliant follow for me on Twitter is that you are capable of reading these things that, that I can read the words, but my comprehension right. is pretty limited and you're able to turn around and spit it back out for idiots like me and go, right. hey, here's what this means. <laughs> right. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but yeah, I guess I have a level of scientific literacy, which, which means I can synthesize these the, the data and, and things easier than some people. Right. So, um, but it's important to say that I'm not a virologist, right? Sure. So, um, okay, so first of all, I want to say with regards to one thing you said. So you said there was a person from Canada who had later tested to be positive for the virus. And that is correct. Um, so there was a person who had flew, flown from Vancouver to Hong Kong, I believe. And uh, he, I think, had tested positive for the virus. Mm-hmm. But it is unlikely in this case, from my understanding, that he actually uh, got the virus, the new variant, in Canada. So the right. person was being quarantined in a Hong Kong quarantine hotel next to a person who had traveled from South Africa who later tested positive for the virus. And the Hong Kong authorities are pretty sure that the person acquired the virus in Hong Kong. Okay. So he had been, he, as you said, hypothetical, he had been in Canada, but it was not likely, or it's possible that he didn't have it while in Canada. It seems likely at this stage, and this is the, this is the problem with the emerging kind of information, right? Mm-hmm. People don't necessarily know. It's all like circumstantial and things. Um, it seems likely from what I understand, I read, I think it was the National Post article about it, mm-hmm. that this person actually uh, got the virus from his, a person also staying in the hotel opposite him okay. who had come from South Africa and tested positive a few days before the Canadian mm. person tested positive. Okay. So I That's don't important. think that is evidence that it is in Canada yet. Okay. However, what I will say is that because of the spread around the world that we know of already, uh, I would be uh, really surprised if it isn't already in Canada. Right. 
the reason for closing borders, from my understanding, and this is a very controversial area, um, is not to stop it getting in. Uh, it is highly likely it's already here. It is to slow it down. Okay. So it is to stop, I guess, uh, an analogy is more sparks coming to set off forest fires if, and this is important, if it is as transmissible as some people have proposed, proposed it is um some people have suggested that it is far more transmissible than the delta variant that it is far more likely to uh, evade immune response and that is from both antibodies that we produce from vaccines and also monoclonal antibody treatments which are often used now um at the moment to my understanding and i'm not certain and things like this move so quickly what they have done is they have looked at the mutations in this new variant and they have modeled using a computer simulation what it might mean okay. for transmission and immune evasion. But at the moment, we don't have the solid lab evidence to back that up. We have the predictions made from a computer model. How reliable would you, I guess we don't know, is your point. We don't know how reliable those computer, this is, they're spitting out it could be this bad, but we don't know that it will be this bad. Because yeah. I've seen everything on Twitter this week, you know, that's no different than reading the Leafs. The Leafs are the best team in the league, worst team in the league. <laughs> this is 500 times more transmissible and it's going to wipe out humanity <laughs> to this yeah. is, um, you know, a variant of concern that may turn into something. But, you know, for now, what we're doing, keep masking, keep whatever, things will be fine. Yeah. You've sort of seen it, it yeah, cross it the spectrum. So, so I guess what I, I have seen, so I follow a lot of virologists and infectious disease experts on Twitter. I see them a lot more concerned than they have been with other similar stories, which kind of, you know, right. dissipated over time. I do see them a lot more concerned. I also see a lot of people kind of urging caution with regards to we have to wait for this analysis. So scientists in South Africa at the moment, South Africa has fantastic scientists, amazing genomics experts. What they're doing, they're, they're actually culturing the virus in labs and they're seeing what it does, right? They're actually looking at what the effect of all these mutations that they've detected in it do. And they're doing it right now. And for that, you know, we we should give them a, a lot sure, of credit, just, right? Yes. Um, and so, but it, it's going to take a, time, a while to really figure it out, like how bad it is. So I don't. Travel bans are a really controversial subject, and I don't feel like I know enough to really say whether they're good or bad. Um, what I can say, I think, with some certainty is it doesn't stop things coming in. It's almost certainly already here in Canada. It might slow things down. Right. Um, we do need to wait for more information, but also I think with something as... So this this virus is very mutated. It has a lot more mutations we've ever than we've ever seen before in other variants. It is not a thing that has evolved from the Delta variant. It's evolved on its own special branch of evolution. Super. It, well, yeah. <laughs> um, it has a lot more mutations than things we've seen before, and we can model that those mutations might have an effect, and there's just a lot of them, right? There's yes. a, there's reason to be concerned. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait a couple more weeks for the implications, but... Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. I feel like... I don't want any more I, interesting weeks, Vicky. I want some boring weeks where things are just going fine. You've, you've <laughs> had the boring weeks. The boring weeks have been this sort of summer and fall in Canada so far. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I feel like... So yesterday when I kind of... The, the sort of curse of being a scientist and being able to synthesize this information quickly is like I read 
all this stuff on Twitter from people who I, I trust, who are mm. virologists and otherwise very qualified people. And I'm like, oh, no. Right. <laughs> Instantly, I'm like, ah, the implications of this could be bad. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I read it and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And then I slip over on some damn ice. And <laughs> yeah, you didn't have day. a great day. No. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a good day yesterday. Um, and then, you know, time time passes and I center myself a little bit more. And I said to my partner today, I was like, let's go out for dinner. Right. Because I don't know the way that this is going to go. I really don't know. Nobody knows yet whether vaccines are effective against it or not. That's something that you can't tell right now. Right. Um, nobody knows whether it's in Canada yet and, and what numbers. Um, we don't know yet. But right now, here in the moment, this is what we know. This is what we know about the situation in Toronto. Let's go out and have dinner drinks, right? Are you... I don't know how much you are aware or you'll tell me how much you pay attention to your following, right? You obviously have a significant social media presence. You obviously mm -hmm. have written for some notable places. Does it cross your mind that people less informed like myself or less familiar with this? I've done my absolute best through this whole thing. I've never followed science more closely than I have over the last mm -hmm. 20 months. I'm still not claiming to understand it fully, but I know who I've sort of followed this long and whoever like are you conscious of the fact that if you tell me or you tweet out or it's on your instagram or whatever i'm going out for dinner at a pub tonight or we're trying this does it cross your mind that other people may be weighing your comfort level into their own comfort level well if if these couple of people that i trust are doing this i'm comfortable doing this and if they're staying home i probably stay home like does that stuff ever cross your mind at all Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 100%. So I, I got to say, so the tonight when we went out for dinner, it is the fourth time during the entire pandemic that we have ever been for mm. indoor dining. Wow. Um, we have been exceptionally uh, careful, uh, probably much more so than most folks. I, I, I don't, I really do not judge people because no. of that. Like, I, I just feel like it's, it's, it's up to everyone's decision, what their comfort level is. Um, it, Yes, it does. And particularly in the last few days, I've been thinking about this a lot. So something that I learned early on during the pandemic is if I'm anxious, right, which everybody is during yep. the pandemic at certain stages, especially when stuff's looking bad. And I mean, uh, I'm from the UK originally, as you can probably hear in my accent. And, <laughs> you know, my family lived there and the UK is an absolute disaster um, and continues to be throughout the entire pandemic. So if I'm anxious, I tend not to tweet anything that could be con considered to be here's what i'm doing you should do it too right okay because it may not be objective it may not be useful i do not want to risk my you know anxious thoughts about the pandemic becoming somebody else's sure. anxious thoughts about the pandemic which may, may not relate to their situation may not be relevant to their situation mm -hmm. and i actually to be honest i've thought this a lot over the last couple of days like you know, I'm talking to my friends who are immunologists and virologists and things like discussing what is what is the implication of this? And then I'm like, does it serve any purpose to tweet about it in any way? And if the if the answer is no, I just don't do it. Right. Because, I, I, you know, so I, today I'm about I Wayne Simmons today instead. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, today I was like, you know what? I, you know, I'm trying to take the positive about this. And I'm like, what I would really like is for people to use better masks. Yes, I saw right that. Now. 
Because if this variant is terrible, you know what will still help against it? A mm. mask. Right. <laughs> a better mask than like a terrible fabric mask. Yeah. And so I was trying to kind of like generalize the positives from how I feel about this potentially bad, but not necessarily. We don't know yet, mm. a new variant. And I was like, you know what? Everybody could definitely do with better protection with masks. Sure. And, um, you know, I'm meeting somebody who I actually haven't met in real life, but I know in Twitter, um, she lives in Toronto. Sorry, they live in Toronto. And, um, I'm going to meet them on, uh, I think, Tuesday morning and, and just give them a couple of the masks that I have that obviously I haven't used so they can find the right fit for them to order some. Right. And just try and, you know, make at least some kind of minor positive change. Sure. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very aware, aware of what I do and how it impacts others, and I tend to err on the side of caution. Um, it's really interesting what you said about trying not to judge people because – I've been going through that here. And again, I've, I've been very open several times on the show. I'm sure I have listeners who are tired of hearing it. My medical condition is different than most people's. I day to day, I walk around. I'm fine. I live a comfortable life. God bless my uncle for giving me this kidney transplant (laughs) that got me back up and living a normal life. At the same time that came with complications. Um, no one at the time envisioned global pandemic that Mm -hmm. might change everything, but uh, I've, uh, I guess it was in June, I bought uh, concert tickets for an event here in Ottawa in November. It was just a small punk band for uh, called Anti-Flag. It would have been a couple hundred people, but in a very small venue. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time, in June, we're rolling out the the vaccines. Everything looks awesome. It's going up fast. Most people are going to get it. And I feel like it's possible in November... I might be comfortable to do this. At the same time, it was like 18 bucks a ticket. Like this was hardly, if I have to decide it's no good, then so be it, right? But the time came around and I just wasn't there yet. Like I just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be in June and I wasn't ready to go. At the same time, we have been pushed hard and, and even here, we're pushing people, go get vaccinated, go do it. And all of it is so... You can go to the Blue Jays game if you want to go and do that. Right. You can go. And so I'm not ready to go to that yet. But you, if you're fully vaccinated and you have to be now, they're insisting on it at these venues. To If you want to go see an Ottawa Red Blacks game, I, I legitimately have no issue with that. This is what we we're trying to get back to. Right. right. And so it's been really hard to, to sort of walk this balance. And, you know, I, I don't like to exact, we have what we have here as a listenership for this show. We have a few thousand listeners that are very dedicated and we love you all. If you want to do something and you're fully vaccinated, I don't hold that against you at all. Um, right. at the same time, I'm not there yet. And so, yeah. you know, it's just a little different for everybody. And it is, it's really important not to judge. Although I have failed miserably at not judging <laughs> the unvaccinated, um, but oh, yeah, that's, that's a little different. <laughs> Why don't we move to something a little more positive? And this is yeah. the main reason I wanted to talk to you. I thought your article, and this is probably going back a couple of weeks now, but like I said uh, earlier, we will share because I thought it was awesome. And again, I don't have kids, but I know I've seen my niece and nephew have to go for, you know, mm-hmm. routine needles before the pandemic. I've seen, you know, kids don't like doctors. Doctors are scary. Hospitals suck. There's probably something bad's going to happen here or something has already happened. You did a, a great article um, that included an interview and just talking about some of the things that as we get to this point now where you're taking your kids in for this vaccination, you can do to make this a little easier for them, both emotionally or mentally, but also even physically, which to me was interesting to me, a uh, 
a needle is what it is, right? Like sometimes I just assumed that's what it's going to be and you're just going to have to talk the kid into it. But you even add some stuff there on how you can make that a little bit easier. Um, Where does the idea for that article or the premise for that article come from and sort of what are the things that that you hope people took away from it? So I think the inspiration came from the article from a couple of for a couple of reasons so i i've known the person i interviewed dr christine chambers who's a professor at dalhousie university in uh, nova scotia i've known her for a couple of years now and i've kind of followed her work um and she is a a a pain specialist which you know sounds kind of like oh okay well what the heck is that um (laughs) but you know, it, it it turns out Canada is one of the leading countries in the world for research into pain. And, you know, people hearing this are like, well, of it's course we should research. <laughs> yeah, of course we should research pain. But you'd be surprised how many, you know, people don't really, you know, pay that much attention to that. But Canada just so happens to be one of the countries in the world that leads pain research. And mm. um, what uh, some of uh, Dr. Chambers' work is, 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 is reducing kids' pain. And the project that I really learned about her through was um, kids' cancer pain. So as you know, I can tell you as a, as a child who had cancer 26, 27 years ago, we go through a lot of painful procedures with needles. Right. Um, lots of blood transfusions, injections of drugs, uh, lumbar punches, which are injections into your spine. Um, you know, lo- lots of painful procedures. So one of the um, schemes she has is kids, uh, you know, uh, works on how to reduce pain for children with cancer. So for me, you know, that's literally the best thing that a person can do sure. um, is, is work on this. But, um, you know, some of her work also overlaps with uh, needle pain. And, you know, it's when when I realized that, you know, vaccines were going to be authorized for, for kids in both the U.S. and Canada, I was like, you know what, I think this is a really good time to write about her work because nobody likes injections, you know, children or adults, nobody likes having a needle, it hurts. Mm-hmm. But the amazing thing about learning about her work and, you know, her colleagues was there are actually things you can do to make it hurt less. And when I learned about this, I was like, that's, that's crazy. I, I honestly thought that, you know, if you get a needle, it's going to hurt. It just is what it is, is what it sort of yeah. seemed like, right? Like somebody's putting a needle in you, right. but, um, I, you know, so I'd known about her work for a while and I interviewed her for this article and it turns out there are, you know, there's a whole scientific, you know, field dedicated to figuring out what people and, and adults and children can do to reduce pain from needles. And, for kids it's um you know distraction is really helpful so you'll sometimes see pediatricians use you know bubbles and you'll see parents give the kids like consoles and you know uh, tablets to play games on and watch uh, things that that's really great um another thing you know there's some things which are like physical as well so it's uh whatever you do relax your arm right right and i've had two vaccines in the last uh, week and a half so I had a flu shot um, about a week and a half ago, and I had a COVID-19 booster on Monday. Hmm. And after speaking to Dr. Chambers, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this too. I'm going to see if it makes any difference. You took a game to play on your tablet? Or? <laughs> I did not. I did not. But I was I was being mindful about the whole, if you relax your arm, right. it really, really helps. And so I, I literally made sure to just make my arm hang by my side, right? I made right. sure not to put any tension in my muscles at all. I kid you not, I did not feel the flu shot. I have probably had 200, 300 needle injections in my life. Right. 
That is the first time I felt nothing. Wow. To the point where I got home and I removed the elastoplast or whatever, and I actually had to check to see if there was like a, a dent <laughs> to see if it had gone in and there was like a tiny bit of blood on the, the, the elastoplast. And I looked at it and I was like, that's ridiculous. I did not feel it. And then I did it again with my COVID-19 vaccine on Monday. Mm-hmm. And I barely felt it. Like I felt it going in, but I barely felt it. And I was like, wow, <laughs> it's such a simple thing. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense to me. You know, if you tense your muscles, all the fibers are going to be closer together and the needle going in is going to make, you know, things go. Um, so simple. And I just wish more people knew about this. And so I was really happy to interview her for the article. Um, and, you know, I've got so much positive feedback off of parents. And, you know, some of it is like use lidocaine. You can get lidocaine uh, sprays and creams. And it literally means your kids don't feel anything. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those articles which I wanted to write. And I'm so happy that it's obviously helped parents and kids because it may seem like a minor thing, reducing pain for a vaccine. But a lot of kids go on to develop fears to needles. Right. Right, which which can lead on to when they're adults as well, and they can become phobias, which are very prohibitive of you know the vaccines and, and procedures. So we need you to get a vaccine for. Right, exactly. So yeah, it was one of those those articles which just seemed like an all round idea. Like who who doesn't want to stop kids feeling pain, and who you know everybody wants to you know give them a more positive experience. So yeah, it was a privilege to interview Dr. Chambers. She does some amazing work. She's somebody I look up to a lot. <laughs> a true badass in, right. in Canadian science, even though it's nothing to do with what I work on and uh yeah, it was really really nice to 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 be able to do that. So one of the points you raised in the article was that there are certain doctors whether it be to be careful here. I was going to say lack of education. That's not fair, but maybe lack of awareness or there's a certain some of these things don't get done in every, we don't know where every kid's going to have, some will be at shoppers, drug marts, some will be at clinics on school properties, some like no different than the rest of us. You got told where to go to get your vaccine. You just showed up and did it. What can parents, you know, from, from your, do, uh, your discussions with, uh, with Dr. Chambers and, and your own research, like what can parents do on their own, either to remind a doctor of something or before you go, or like, what should parents be saying to their kids or helping their kids with, you know, maybe even upon arrival or just before going, um, you know, with some of the the takeaways that you've had in your article here. Right. So I think um, one of the main things that was was kind of clear was honesty. And so um, Dr. Chambers suggests that uh, depending on the child's age, like maybe a few days before the, the procedure, you tell them it's happening and you tell them why it's happening and what it will do for them. And, you know, honesty is the best thing. And I, I remember she recounted you know, tales of kids being told they're going to the doctor and not being told why. And that causes a heck of a lot of anxiety, which is bad because then kids tense their muscles and it's just, you know, a recipe for disaster. So, you know, being honest with the child about what is what they're going for and what what will happen um, is good distraction whilst they're there so they don't focus on the needle and they don't, you know, yes, really... I mean, they're going to notice, but probably not as much. Um, you can use topical anesthetics like lidocaine or, you know, available in uh, many pharmacies. So anyone um, can buy that without a prescription. I, I, So I'm not so clear about like different pharmaceutical like rules in Canada. Right. Um, but I think you can get numbing cream in, in most places in Canada without a prescription. Okay. Um, and it, it's useful, right? I think, I think there is this almost old attitude towards like, temporary pain with regards to things like vaccines and like just deal with it it's temporary Mm -hmm. 
but it really can lead on to something which is much worse, like a phobia of needles. So I think it's very important to address. Um, but the one thing that was very interesting to me about the article was that, you know, scientific studies have shown that parents who say to their children while they're like in the vaccination room or like acutely at the sites saying, don't worry, it will be okay soon. It will be over soon is actually a bad thing. Because <laughs> what's happening before soon you're telling them is going to be bad, right? Like So apparently, and again, this is not my area of expertise. This is what Dr. Chambers said to me, that parents seeking to reassure their children at the time almost shows the children that the parents are kind of anxious. Right, okay. It doesn't help. Right. <laughs> and so she, she, she kind of made it clear that the best thing that parents can do acutely in that moment is distraction. I think okay, one of the, what we're going to do later, like, uh, are we going to, you know, are we going to get burgers? Are we going yeah, to get ice cream? Like, what are you doing tomorrow? Sure. Are you looking forward to hockey practice? Like just get them out of the situation. So. Right. I think one of the things that was really interesting and it makes perfect sense. I just never really given it any thought was this idea of being honest. If you talk your kid into going to the doctor by saying, no, no, no. Cause a lot of kids associate needles with doctors and whatever. Right. No, 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 there's not going to be a needle. And then there is. You damage trust, right? Like you, uh, the yeah. next time I want to take you to the doctor, I don't believe you, right? When you say that there's not going to be a needle or, or whatever. Yes, there is going to be a needle. Here's why. Um, it might make your arm a little sore for a little while, but right. you know, these are all things that you almost have to give your, your kids some more credit for, right? That they're going, they probably will remember this and, uh, it's, it's not going to help to try and sweeten it beforehand. Like be honest and upfront and just say, yeah, this is what we're going to go into. All your friends, you can say like there can be some, you know, your father and I have been through it or yeah. whatever. But, uh, you know, this is something that we all have to do right now and, and whatever. But don't try and hide what's about to happen. No. And and to be honest, I completely understood this as soon as she said it. Because as a kid with leukemia, when you're seven years old, I mean, you have a absolute ton of injections, blood transfusions, mm. lumbar punches, tests, whatever. Um, my parents were always very honest with me about what was going on. They kind of trusted my ability to comprehend right. um, and also recognize that for me, understanding what got, was going on was what I needed. Right. I did not want to be surprised by stuff. I did not want to not know what the implications of things were. And uh, to be honest, as a you know seven or eight year old child, I I knew that stuff happening was serious and that I might die, wow. and that sounds crazy to a lot of people. But it's it's what it I I needed to be you know I needed these explanations. Right. Why the hell am I having this drug again? It makes me feel sick. I I don't want to have it kind of thing. So them and the nurses and the doctors that I had at the time explaining things to me honestly was incredible. So I have grown up. I do not have a fear of doctors. I do not have a fear of injections. You know, I, I don't like them. Nobody likes them. But I, no. I, you know, I credit the honesty aspect with that. It hurt. I remember some of it hurting like hell. Right. But the honesty was always there, and it was constant. And I really think that that made a huge difference for me. I was never surprised by anything that happened. I was never surprised by anything that hurt. It's, I always knew what to expect, and I think that really helped me personally. It's troubling to me. And it shouldn't be shocking, I suppose, that you were more mature at seven than I am at 38. Or, uh, <laughs> there were times going through my kidney process where I only wanted to know as little as I had to know to get, just get through this, right? You're yeah. the expert, you're the doctor, you tell me what to do and I will do it. 
And I still get asked questions to this. Well, why did this happen? Or why did you, I don't know. I don't know. I wanted to know as little as possible. And it was almost a defense mechanism, right? Like I found it damaging every time someone told me something else, you know, here's what's happening. Here's what's wrong. And I would rather just, no, 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 no. You're the expert. Tell me what to do. And I will walk out here and do that. I I also want to say to you that that's a completely valid way of dealing with it. Right. Right. Like people are not built the same like i so i have friends who i was on the ward with when i was eight years old who are exactly the same as you yeah, but they don't eight. want to hear about it <laughs> they don't want to talk about it yeah and that's totally fine so with childhood leukemia survivors we tend to go uh to opposite extremes right okay <laughs> we either become doctors or scientists or, or nurses or like occupational therapists or you know people who work in in cancer right or we go to the extreme where we don't want to hear about it right. ever again so it it both both paths, whether it be cancer or something else, are completely valid, and I, I don't ever suggest that one is, you know, superior to the other. It's it's just the way that people are built and the way that they deal with things differently. Is there anything you know that that we haven't covered from that article or for, from this subject that you think? Because this is going to happen in two ways for for people listening, and if you've made it this far, you you've obviously made it this far. I'm going to release this twice. I'm going to release the entire conversation, and I'm going to just in a separate segment I think this conversation is valuable to parents. Not all of them will want to hear the, the leaf talk and the, the craft <laughs> talk and whatever. So I'm going to release this, you know, in full and then this segment. So for parents who are listening, you know, is there any other message that I haven't asked about or that, you know, like I said, we'll share the link to the article that you'd like to get across about how to communicate this to your kids, how to work through this with your kids, um, as this is about to become, and, and for many kids it already has, uh, but you know, this is going to be a thing for a while now where we're taking our kids to go through this thing that some of them will understand better than others, but needs to happen for, for most of them. Is there anything else you'd want to get across? Yeah, I, I think it's important to mention a couple of things. So first of all, parents, especially of kids who have only just become eligible to be vaccinated, have had some of the hardest rides of anyone during the pandemic, right? Like, um, it's great that we as adults are now vaccinated, but what about kids, yeah. right? Like you send them to, most people to send them to school every day in a scenario that they don't, they cannot predict whether they're going to get sick or not. And they just hope for the best. So I just want to say that, you know, parents have done their very damn best during yes. this pandemic. Um, I'm not a parent. I hope to be in a, maybe a few years time, but I completely appreciate how stressful um, this situation has been for parents and, you know, trying to make the right decision. Like, do we homeschool? Do we take them out of school? Do we put them back in, even though, you know, we, we, we don't know about the safety or the ventilation or the vaccinated status of the teachers? Right. Like, my God, it's been such a hard couple of years for parents so i just want to acknowledge that um secondly i guess i would stress to parents that these vaccines have now been tested on i think it's something like eight billion times in adults children are not adults i know that right i had childhood cancer and you know drugs don't always work the same on kids as they do on adults like i know all about that but this is not an untested experimental vaccine uh it has been tested you know, very well now on children that are, you know, five to 11 years old. Uh, it, it, it is, as far as I understand the data, a lot better than COVID-19. We don't know the long-term effects of COVID-19. There is some, to me as a scientist, there is some exceptionally concerning early data on the neurological side effects of COVID-19 infection. Right which I try not to think about because it would keep me up at night. 
Okay. Uh, I, I, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to. I'm not a parent, and I, you know, I, I don't speak as one. Uh, it, it would be hard for me to defend. I think if I was was putting my child at risk of COVID nineteen versus the vaccine, uh, too many unknowns for me as a scientist. Evidence of neurological side effects in COVID nineteen, not vaccination. Uh, for me, it would be a no brainer. But I also, you know, I would. I, I guess I would stress to parents like. Have you ever hesitated or asked about the brand name or the side effects of any other vaccine that your child has had? Right. Uh, the answer for most parents will be no. Yeah. Um, this is a very well-tested vaccine now, a very well-tested vaccine. If you are the one in, I have no idea how many hundreds of thousands or millions where your child, you know, experiences symptoms of, of myocarditis, please take them to a hospital. It's likely they'll make a full recovery and have no long-term side effects from that. Similarly, if your child contracts COVID-19 and is seriously ill, please seek medical advice. But, you know, it to me, it's a no-brainer. The, the vaccination benefits far outweigh any small risk of, of serious complications. I, you know, that that's about all I can say. Uh, I think that's extremely valuable. And this is the main reason to, uh, to have had you back on was to bring your, uh, your perspective to this. And I appreciate that. So let me ask you one more thing about COVID it's outside of kids now. And, and maybe this new, uh, this new variant has changed the entire thing before this week, before we had learned about, uh, Omicron or whatever it's going to be called, <laughs> Omicron or whatever you Brits are going to call it. Uh, <laughs> did you believe because I asked you this last time and you were right and it was upsetting that we were headed towards a fourth wave. Our numbers here in Ontario are creeping back up. Did we ever leave the fourth wave? If we did, are we on our way to a fifth? And I know you can't speak on this new one, how that might change things. But before you learned about that, did you feel like we were headed for another bad winter? Um, so I was, I was definitely more positive than I ever have been. Um, hmm. It was inevitable it would go up. It's, it's just the way it is. And I think it's very interesting how there's a large number of cases in places like Algoma now, yep. uh, where we haven't seen them before in large numbers. And they just so happen to border places like Michigan and the United States, which have some of the highest cases in North America. That's interesting. It's not a coincidence, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's people who can actually crunch the data better than I can, but um, in my opinion, that is not a coincidence. Um and my partner has family in Algoma as well, and it's very strange to them. They have this higher level now. Um, the answer is I don't really know. Um, we're going to go up. Uh, we have a very high number of vaccinated people, um, which makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It's, it's nice to live in a society where, you know, people take responsibility for each other. Um, I think we'll have a reasonably high uptake of the vaccine to five for five to 11 year olds, which I think will make a difference. Right. Because a lot of folks who are testing positive now that are vaccinated are the parents of unvaccinated children. Right. Okay. Because they haven't been, they haven't had time to be vaccinated yet. So I'd be interested to see how this goes in a few weeks time when at least the first dose of the vaccine kicks in and, and these kids that are now getting vaccinated. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard for me to kind of try and comprehend things without this new variant, but yeah. also we literally don't have enough information on this new variant to see how it might, we don't even know it's here in Canada. It almost certainly will be in some respects, but um, if you it, know, go ahead, yeah. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm just saying, so if things were as they were, so for example, I haven't seen my parents in almost two years. 
um, we decided jointly that the best thing for them to do would hopefully be to come to Canada in January, right? which is going to be fun because, um, sure. you know, they come from the southeast of England. It very rarely goes below freezing. Oh, my. <laughs> but whatever, we Keep decided that they're going to... ice patch there over by the rink. That's good. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going anywhere near it. But, um, you know, they'll find it fun. It'll be it'll be fine if they're able to come. They're both boosted now. I'm boosted. Right. Um, seemed like a good time. The UK is a disaster, so don't really want to be going there and, and getting COVID for me. Um, I am no longer super optimistic about that. We'll revisit in a couple of weeks. If so to let you off the hook again with the new, uh, the, the new variant or whatever, if Christmas was next week and everyone in your family was here in Canada and double vaccinated, would your plans have changed this week? Would you still plan to do whatever you were going to do, get together for a Christmas dinner, which maybe you didn't get to do last year because of everything that was going on. If you were planning a small, you know, 10 to 12 person Christmas dinner with everyone being double vaccinated, are you still comfortable with that today? Yes, um, I I definitely am. So, but also to point out a couple of mitigation strategies that I have used. So, Mm -hmm. Um, we have a HEPA filter. We uh, bought it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a $250 HEPA filter thing, which we have in the living room uh, for like people who come just for like watching movies and stuff like that. And we don't have a lot of them, but just for friends. So we, we try and, you know, keep it small. And, you know, we have that filter, which hopefully would help if anyone is sick. Right. Um, the second one is if an any- air purifier. It's an air purifier. It's a HEPA filter. Um, it exchanges the air in the room about uh, five or six times an hour. Okay. Um, it it may help if, right. if, if somebody is sick. Um, the second thing is that if anyone stays overnight, they we rapid test them. Hmm. So we have a couple of friends who are staying. I have a friend who's staying next weekend for a couple of, uh, couple of days. Um, my partner's niece came to stay with us last weekend. Um, we just rapid test them um i had to unfortunately buy a box for much more money than i think should be reasonable <laughs> in ontario um so but yes like if, if it's people you trust um people you trust that would not come if they're symptomatic and they're all fully vaccinated right now good hmm. i think you're good to go we'll see what yeah we were due to be spending christmas in algoma <laughs> right okay <laughs> currently one of the worst places in canada yeah um so i i think we're living to like not make too many plans um, now that is the plan, but we're lucky we have a car, right? So we would just drive there. There's no need to book flights or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we will see how it goes. Yeah. Um, as, uh, as you say, we're, uh, we're still five weeks out sort of from, from Christmas right. here now. So things can change, but, uh, as we sit here today, it's reasonably safe if you're all vaccinated and as so, safe as it's going to be. I think, I think the, the, the bigger thing is, so I felt safe going out for dinner in Toronto earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to a bar restaurant, which was very good at checking our vaccine certificates. Uh, the tables were reasonably well-spaced. Everybody wore masks when they were moving around the restaurant and not seated. Like, you can never eliminate risk. No, no. You, you Perfect can just is be not like, on the table. Right, exactly. So you look at the numbers in Toronto at the moment, and you're like, that, that's not bad. Right. Uh, and then you go to a restaurant that you know will check VAC certificates and will be sensible, and then you give it a go, and you accept whatever level of risk that is. Uh, would I go to a 500-person nightclub in Toronto right now? No. Right. right. <laughs> you know, so everybody, we were talking about this earlier in the show, everybody has to be comfortable with whatever level of risk they consent to, I guess. Tell the good people where they can follow you and where they can find your work. 
so mostly would probably be best on Twitter. I am at uh, Vicky with V-I-C-K-Y-Y-Y-F. And uh, yeah, you'll have a heady mix of all sorts of things. Science, hockey, sometimes Ontario politics, which is a whole different thing. <laughs> Next time. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, also a menagerie of random stuff. So yeah, it, it could be fun or Some you craft beers. following me and no, no hard feelings. <laughs> it's a worthwhile follow, honestly. Like <laughs> I said, it's a filter. It's, it's, that's how I've treated your, uh, I've, uh, I've followed you before that for, uh, for hockey and craft beer. Then once the <laughs> pandemic set in, yeah, it became this screen in which I was able to your quote tweets were like, okay, here's someone saying something maybe a little crazy. Here's what Vicky says. Okay, I'm good. I'm all right. Yeah. Like, sometimes it's just sarcastic. Like I went off earlier on masks with valves in them. Yes. I think I said something like they should all be thrown into a volcano, which is, <laughs> I absolutely agree with. Like there's no way that masks with valves in them are a good idea. They never have been. Like we need to not do this shit. Like You might as well just be wearing a goalie mask. Like honestly, just, it's just wide open. You might whatever. as well just not bother, but <laughs> right. then at least people can avoid you accordingly. True enough. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> this is great. I, I always like this is the second time you've been on i hope you'll come back um this I will, of course this is fun for me to be able to sit down have a beer talk some hockey you know some some easy some light easy and then have somebody sit down and and just explain yeah here's where we're at here's what's up here's where things right. are going and uh, i think that's valuable for me and i i believe it's valuable for our listeners we got really good feedback last time so i'm sure we right, will again well, you gotta have me on again because i didn't get to my story about my visit to, to watch oh, the Leafs right. in arizona oh my goodness you're right Let's hit it. Let's hear the you story. Sure? Yeah, no, let's hit it. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I mean, what do you want to know? Do you want to start us off? Well, I don't even know the story. So you told me on yeah, Twitter. Okay. You had a story to tell. I'll go on a massive soliloquy. It's fine. So, hit okay, it. Yeah, I feel very passionately that this should be known. So, um, okay. So in 2019, the last time I was in the United States, um, I had an invitation to speak at a conference in Arizona um, in it was Scottsdale. Anyway, it was somewhere in Arizona. And a few weeks before I went to Arizona, I, I checked the Leaf schedule just in case they would be doing their one game a year right. in Arizona. Lo and behold, no way. <laughs> they were playing. I was in Arizona for three full days and they were playing uh, on the last night That's that wild. I was there. So a few hours after my keynote lecture <laughs> <laughs> to to the, the people at this uh, neuro-oncology conference, the Leafs were playing in Arizona. And I was like, this is great. Why not? Yeah. And so I took my, like, I took my jersey in my luggage. <laughs> I bought myself tickets. I have a friend who at that time was doing journalism school in Arizona. Mm-hmm. In uh, near near wherever this place was, I know I'm referring to it as a state rather than cities, but I, I don't fully understand the geography. Um, and I said, "Hey, do you want to go to a hockey game?" And I think she's from like DC originally, and she was like, "I've never been to a hockey game." Okay, let's go. And I said to her, "I was like, would you like a Leafs jersey?" She's like, "Sure." Oh, nice! Right, she's a convert. So I took my partner's jersey as well, <laughs> packed it in my bag for Arizona just before I went. Mm. You know, finished this lecture, got a an Uber to the uh, Gila 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 River Arena. Yeah, I forget it now. Is. It is something weird. Phoenix, like that. I think. Uh, it was Just about west out there know, in Glendale. Yeah, but Glendale, uh, right? So it was expensive. It's like a 50, 55 minute trip oof. from where I was. It wasn't like right next to anything. Right. Um, you know, got it. Met her there. Was like, hey, here's your jersey. She's like, okay. <laughs> and um, you know, we went into this arena, and it's it's like in the middle of the shop. It's like in the middle of a shopping mall, like a strip mall, because it's all in the desert. It's a bit weird. Yeah. 
And so I'm, you know, here in Arizona and kind of like Ottawa's arena, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've never right in the middle been of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we went inside and um, wow, this arena was two thirds empty. And it, that's also the like Ottawa's arena. The people that were there, two thirds of those were Leafs fans. Nice. So they're either like retirees, yeah. <laughs> Or there are people that Austin Matthews went to school right. <laughs> <laughs> And there, were, there was an obvious patch of Austin Matthews like supporters. And I think his dad was there. I could like, I recognized him vaguely. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe his mom or something. But we, so we bought tickets up in the rafters. Not they were particularly expensive, but they were expensive enough. Right. And so we watched the first period from, you know, the upper bowl or whatever. Um, and we could see these large patches of like rink front seats that were completely empty. <laughs> so, and this was so this was just a, this was Sheldon Keith's first game in charge of the Maple Leafs. Oh, okay, I remember this is yeah, fall yeah. twenty nineteen. Yeah, enough Pierre Engvall's first game. Yeah, shorthanded goal, I think that night. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So at the end of the first period, my friends like, should we go sit down there? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why yeah, not? Why not? Right? Why? Like there is an entire, I'm not just talking about two seats that we saw. I'm talking no. about entire blocks <laughs> that were entirely empty. And so we spot this, um, Leafs couple with like, um, Sandy, not Sandine, Sundin, yes. <laughs> Matt Sundin. Yes. And you know, um, Leafs legends or whatever jerseys on. And we're like, we got them. Like, hey, just want to check. Is anyone sitting here? Like, if you send anyone come, we don't want to take anyone's seats. And they're like, no, no, sit down. It's great. You know? And it turns out they were like snowbirds and they normally lived in, vancouver or something and they've sure. come, you know been in arizona for a while now and we sat there with this really nice older couple um it was great like uh, a couple of goals got scored right in that end of the rink pierre engvall scored his first nhl goal we're like celebrating and we're celebrating this goal and we hear this voice from behind us going sit the f down oh saucy and I, was, and I, looked, I looked around and i was like what is what is happening? I've got my friend there from Arizona, like who lives in Arizona. Yeah. And I hear it once, right? And I think nothing of it. And then they score again. They yeah. score again right in front of the goal. And we're just celebrating. Mm -hmm. We're doing nothing in particular. We're just celebrating. And this woman who's maybe six rows behind us is like screaming at us. <laughs> screaming. Wow. At us. Right. And I look around and she's in her 60s, sitting alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> No wonder. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, and she's sitting alone and she's just going off on us. Like, sit the hell down. And I'm like, what did we, and I, I said to her, I was like, what did we do? Yeah. And she's just like, those aren't your seats. And I was like, well, well no, we, we like, what, what do you mean? And she's just like. There's 13,000 empty seats. Yeah, we moved. They them aren't your seats. So I'm talking to this woman over four or five rows of completely empty seats. Right. Completely empty seats. And she's like, they're not your seats. And I was like, so, and I said, so what? They're completely empty. Like we've paid our way to be here. Like we're just here to support our team. Like we come from Toronto. I'm just in town on like business. Like, and I'm trying to like rationalize yeah. this with her. We just gave 50 super... bucks to your franchise that hasn't had anybody else here. Right. And I, I'm just like, like, we don't want any trouble. We're just here supporting our team. Like we literally come from Toronto. Like yeah. it's, it, you know, thing. And she just like scowls and sits down. Right. So at the end of the second period, one of the, the staff comes and is like, hey, I need to see your tickets. Uh, and I was like, oh, God's sakes. Right. Yeah. And I said, I'll save you the problem. Our tickets are for up there. We're going back there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the woman has left by this point. She's like, you know, gone to the concessions or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I leave, right, with my friend to go back up to our, 
you know, third row, <laughs> third whatever tier Eagle seats or whatever seats, like that. Yeah. And this woman is like sitting at this like metal table in the corner of the concessions, like in the main bit just outside of the seating. Yeah. And she's just like glaring at me. Okay. So she's clearly <laughs> gone and told this person. Yeah, no, she's no, she's absolutely told the person yeah. to remove us. Fine. And so I walk straight up to her. (laughs) Right. And she's, she looks like really afraid, like not in a kind of like, I'm in a punchy way. Like clearly I would never do that. Right. But I just walk up to her and I say, Hey, I just want to say it was really nice talking to you. Um, I think the Coyotes are, you know, they're real, they've got some great players. Like your goaltending is great. Um, I really think with just a little more pep, they could really be good. Right, and I was just—you know what I just said? You nuts. only have one good player. His name's Phil Kessel, and he used to be ours. Whatever. But like, <laughs> I don't even know. Did Kessel even play for them? And I'm not sure, but I think they had quite, yeah, uh, Darcy Kemper then. Okay, he's good. Yeah. Yeah, and various, I, I was basically lying through my teeth, but I said to her, "I was like, look, I just, you know, would say I think the Coyotes—they're going through a rough patch, but they could be really good. Like, I really appreciate your dedication to the fan, like to the team." And I was just alarmingly nice, and I wasn't anywhere near her. Like, I was six feet away, just so right. she could hear me, and she had no idea what to say. You've she disarmed her with your absolutely politeness. had no idea, and I just wanted to say, so I, you know, I really hope they get back back at it and make this a great a great third period. And I walked off. <laughs> And my friend, my friend who was with me was like, that was the most glorious thing I have ever seen. (laughs) You floored her with politeness. Right, exactly. Um, So we went and watched the third period from wherever we were. Back up in the boons. But the funniest thing about it, it was a good game. And the funniest thing about it was my friend had later gone home and she'd watched the game on replay or whatever on the sports channels. And she'd sent me a screenshot. Here we are. Of this. No, no, no. Oh, okay. I mean, it was, yeah. And she'd sent a picture of like us at the end of the goal, right? And then this woman just sitting on a rock (laughs) in the the stands, right? And she'd like put a crude paint arrow to it just saying here here sits trumpy karen (laughs) 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 glendale's gloomy gloria that's right uh, exactly and that's the only the only time i've ever seen a leafs game away from toronto and i mean it it was pretty dark like the rest of the fans were fine and things but this woman i mean I don't know what her deal was. It was really horrible. I honestly and haven't seen the Leafs out of town much either. It's been here no, in Ottawa. I, and um, there was an outdoor game in 2015 down in uh, Detroit. I was at mm-hmm. that one at uh, 100,000 seat stadium down there. One of the winter classics. I was. I think those are the only two out of town Leaf games I've ever seen. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. I mean, I hope to see another one because that wasn't the best experience. No, apparently not. Um, I mean, it was fine. I was just bemused. Um, but uh, yeah, it probably wasn't the ideal. Well, honestly, <laughs> at the end of the second period, anybody who's coming is coming. Like, you're not bugging anybody. Clearly, she's gone we, and complained. We, all right? we were doing that could be in any way offensive was cheering when our team scored a goal. Heaven forbid. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not like we were remarkably drunk and, like, showing up to all the crowd, <sighs> like... There were these guys sitting just behind her who were like, shut up and enjoy the game. Like, you know, So when you have like 30-something-year-old guys trying to calm down this like senior, you know you're in trouble. Wow. Yeah, especially when you're there alone too, just shouting at people. What's wrong with you? Right? Like, I respect her dedication, but I, like, I don't respect the way that she was just like targeting us. It was no, a bit much. it does seem a little over the top. Yeah, anyway, so that's my experience with, uh, with Arizona's really- Trumpy Karen. Yeah, I mean, uh, that franchise is, I mean, they will always have her. I, I guarantee you it she's at every game dedicated. even now. Yeah. Um, but that, that franchise is, is 
is is is is difficult. Well, this say. I this is my favorite part. We always hear on Leafs Twitter about how oh, Matthews going to leave for Arizona, and you're like, I, I maybe Matthews will leave. That might happen. Maybe he'll go to L.A. Maybe he'll go to New York. He's not going to Arizona. They cannot afford that. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I, I feel like so Austin Matthews is um, uh, self-assured to a yes. point where he knows that he's really good. Yep. Um, and that's fine because he is really good. Like it's not unsubstantiated. Nope. Um, so Austin Matthews would like to win the Stanley Cup uh, probably multiple times. Yep. Um, I don't see Arizona no. being where they need to be to put a supporting cast around him. What is it? Three years, two years, whatever. Yeah. When yep. he may not stay with the Leafs. I'm, under no I'm with you there. But, that's all I'm saying. But he seems yeah, I like. Don't, I don't think he's going there. I think he will choose somewhere. A big market. Where, He's gonna win the Stanley Cup, whether that be you know Chicago back out of their current like remodeling or whatever, or you know a team which is already kind of there. But I think he's gonna choose a big city to live in. That's that's where I'm at. I I I think you're right. I think he'd like to win, but he does seem like that's a big market. He likes his fashion, right? He likes his big events. He likes being a celebrity. So I'm not saying he's staying for sure in Toronto, but if he leaves, it's L.A. It's New York. It's right. it's Chicago, as you said. Maybe it's Miami. Like we'll see how the Boston Panthers are doing. Even. Yeah, yeah. Like, places I, with like recent-ish Stanley Cup pedigree right. and I, places where he can like it's live not his Arizona. life. Like, I, it's, for example, I don't see him uh, going to you know Winnipeg or Calgary, no matter how good they are at the no, time. It's just not Ottawa. the kind of thing that would fit his. You know. That's right. Um, we'll wind this down here because it's almost time for Puck Drop, where hey, I'm sure I'll see you on Twitter. Yeah, we've uh, we've killed some time here, but we've done it <laughs> in a useful way. So uh, absolutely appreciate your time, and uh, like I said, we'll we'll do this again. Uh, hope maybe you'll have run into another uh, Trumpy Karen, but hopefully you won't have another story about self injury on the ice or. Oh uh, uh, well, uh, I mean, when I've got my skates on, I kind of accept it, but <laughs> not when I'm just going on a walk. That was a bit like a little harsh. <laughs> just a little bit much. Um, hopefully things stay under control. We've had some great guests such as yourself come on from the Toronto area. I'd like to come down there and, and have a pint or two with you. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we'll do something like that. And if you find yourself here in the nation's capital, uh, same invitation, right? We'll, uh, we'll see how things go, but I really appreciate your time. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. No, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. That is Dr. Vicki Forster. Leaf fan, craft beer enthusiast, and big brain on the Talk and Audio podcast. We need more of those around. We'll wind this one down here for Vicky. My name is Matt, and we will see you all next time on Talk and Audio. It is over! Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TalkanAudio.com or by searching Talk and Audio on your favorite podcast app.